Welcome to the podcast, Let's Talk Sped Law, a podcast dedicated to discussing special education rights of children with disabilities. I'm your host and special education attorney, Jeff Forte. Now let's talk Sped Law. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Sped Law. Today on the show, we have uh, Denise Marshall, who is the Chief Executive Officer of COPA. Now, COPA, for those that don't know, stands for the Council of Parent Advocates and Attorneys. And Denise has been the uh, Chief Executive Officer for COPA for the last 16 years, uh, I believe since since 2005. Uh, Denise is a graduate of John Hopkins University where she obtained her master's in applied behavioral science. And she has over 40 years of experience in the fields of, in the field of disability in a variety of support, management and advocacy uh, capacities. She has a wealth of knowledge in nonprofit association management and truly has pioneered and led COPA on a national level to significant achievements and heights um, Denise, welcome, welcome to the show. It's so great to have you on, and I can't wait to jump into everything here with you. Well, thanks for having me today, Jeff, and for such a nice uh, introduction. So, Denise, let's first start with what COPA is, right? Let's let's talk about what its mission is, um, the 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 growth, the tremendous growth that COPA's had on a national organization. Um, keeping in mind, you know, that a lot of parents that are listening to the Let's Talk Sped Law podcast are really kind of jumping into this, uh, you know, like a fire hose and just absorbing as much information as they can. Sure. Yeah. Well, COPA is um, a national organization. As you said, we have 2,600 members um, in all 50 states. DC and several of the territories. And so we really are, we call ourselves a peer-to-peer network. We have um, parents as members, attorneys, advocates, related uh, service personnel, anyone who's really focused on uh, this protecting the civil and legal rights of students with disabilities and their families. So what that means is that our members, are, you know, are there, whether it's to help out a fellow family to uh, be an advocate and help support a family to be an attorney and represent a family, anyone who's really struggling with what their child needs in school that's what our members focus on. And uh, we have grown, as you said, we started off when I first came, we had a couple hundred members. So we have grown exponentially, um, both in number and as well as in reach. Uh, we work on all kinds of things at the federal level, uh, policy, uh, practice issues. Um, we're in the courts at pre- every level, uh, you know, um, and have won many cases uh, at the Supreme Court level, as well as the federal court level and state courts of appeals. So one of our uh, past board members, Susan Bruce, used to always say, COPA is everywhere. The voice of students with disabilities needs to be heard. And I, and I think that sums it up. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so, so for parents that are, are, are listening here, COPA, which stands for Council of Parents, Advocates, and Attorneys, uh, truly is just an an amazing organization on a national level. Um, I would encourage everyone to go to their website, 
copa, C-O-P-A-A.org. And there you're going to find a wealth of information and a lot of committees that you could join and sign up to, right? You could start volunteering today. So, so let's talk about some of the committees and subcommittees that COPA has. Um, you know, you, you mentioned that COPA files a lot of amicus briefs through mm-hmm. your legal director, Celine Almazan, in practically every judicial court, every forum um, across the state, including uh, at the U.S. Supreme Court. Um, what, what type of amicus briefs have you, has COPA recently filed and been successful in? Well, we, we file on all kinds of issues, things that may become precedent setting. So some of the issues that we've worked on are the right of parents to be, be able to bring suit under the IDEA as well as under 504 or the ADA. We want parents to really understand that students and parents have rights under all the federal laws and that they don't need to be limited to just the IDEA, which uh, sometimes courts feel that parents need to first go through the IDEA. And that's not always uh, true, depending on which law would best protect their child or them. Right, right. Now, let's talk about the various membership levels, right? Because Mm -hmm. attorneys can join, Advocates can join, professionals can join, and parents can join, right? So, what what, yes. what are the what are the um, what what are some of the benefits for parents to be joining? Well, uh, definitely, again, for any num- any level of of uh, member, it's that connection with each other. We are the only organization that I know that has that mix of members who are all focused on the parent side. We don't uh, have any uh, one who works for, you know, full-time for a school district or represents school districts on our, in our membership or on our discussion boards. Um, So just that ability to speak freely, get advice, learn from other folks who are sharing information is one very valuable uh, benefit. Another is, um, you know, discounted rates to uh, our conferences and trainings. In fact, we have uh, our uh, annual summit coming up in March, well, the end of February and March. And this year, uh, thanks to um, many of our generous sponsors, it's only $40 for parents to attend if, if they're members as well. And the, me- the parent membership fee is typically $50 um, for a parent or family member, or if you're part of the military, it's $25. Um, or if it's that's cost prohibitive, anyone can ask for a scholarship um, at the $5 level. So um, being able to really, that's, you know, Summit is chock full of sessions, almost 60 different sessions on different topics that will be up for six months uh, afterwards where folks can access the resources. And then lastly, I would say that, you know, just the, the wealth of information on our site in the parent community, as well as our general um, library 
are great resources. And one of the things, for example, that our parent committee worked on was a, um, you know, a 10 part series on, you know, just the whole IEP cycle and process and what you're supposed to do at each step and what best practice is. And uh, that's been translated also into Spanish. So, um, you know, we really try to give people the tools and the information they need either to advocate for themselves or for their child uh, or to reach out and um, access one of our members through our directory. So if they feel like they need some representation or further support. Right. So for $50, or if you're a military member, uh, $25 parent costs. I mean, that is just an amazing price point. Um, and then if parents are unable to afford that, there, there are some, uh, there's some financial aid where they could just simply join for, for a nominal fee of $5. Um, and the information alone just from that is, is really going to help parents set their child up uh, for success. But you, you did bring up a good point, and I really want to get into, into, into this with you, and that is this year's COPA conference um, is virtual. And, mm -hmm. uh, and in going virtual, it's probably, you know, obviously as a result of COVID, but um, the benefits of being able to now join COPA and then also go to this conference really is just, um, it, it's very cost-effective for a lot of parents. Um, yeah. Now, is this the first time COPA has ever done a full conference virtual? Yeah. Um, typically, we meet each March in uh, you know, one region of the country or another um, yeah. and have a, a person in-person conference. But with COVID this year, we aren't able to do that. Um, so while we're on one hand sad about that, we're, we're excited about the opportunity to, as you said, bring the COPA conference into people's living room. <laughs> and for, for families, for, that's, you know, for $40 to get access to four days of um, sessions, you know, there's 36 live sessions, 15 pre-recorded sessions, networking sessions, um, all kinds of handouts and materials, all of which will also be taped. So if, you, if you're not able to, you know, attend on the weekend, the first weekend in March for the entire event or for any of it, you can still register and um, all of that will be available as kind of like an on-demand uh, place for you to uh, access for six months following. So I really, as you said, there's no travel costs, there's no hotel costs, or you don't have to find childcare. You know, I mean, it's it's really uh, an opportunity, um, and we hope that it will allow more people to attend than you know than we typically get. And we get you know 700 people at our conferences, so. Yeah. We're hoping to have a big crowd. You know, um, the last conference that I went to in person was actually the 2020 COPA conference. And that was when ironically, um, you know, it's, it's held every, it's held every March. And uh, ironically, that is when COVID was just starting to kind of systemically percolate here in the U S and I remember, you know, some folks, debating whether they should leave the conference early. Um, but it was a successful conference. And then right after that, wham, the, the entire 
country right. went into lockdown. <laughs> I know. It was really um, amazing, as you said. We, we not only had a great event, we had a lot of folks there. And, you know, one of the things that people talk about all the time is the importance of coming together with yeah. um, other families and practitioners who are really struggling the way that they are. This is a hard and, and lonely <laughs> struggle some days. Um, and so one of the things that I think is it's like a homecoming when you come to Copa and a lot of people feel refreshed and rejuvenated. And so, you know, people, people were going to be there (laughs) if they could, and then they weren't prohibited uh, medically from coming in. And uh, so, so we had a full crowd and, and everybody went home. And as you said, the world shut down literally a day after I think we all got home and we held our breasts for uh, several weeks, you know, Try making sure everybody seemed to be safe and healthy still, and and they were. So um, yeah, it's it's a little bit surreal how that happened. Yeah, I mean, I, I just I remember all of us kind of talking like, oh, this isn't gonna really amount to anything, and then it was a humbling experience to say the least. Um, yes. And now we hear a whole nother year later, um, essentially, where we haven't been able to catch up in person, but. Um, the, the 2021 annual COPA conference is now, as of the date of this podcast recording, this is going to air next week, is about 20, 22 days away, right? Um, yeah. And the, one of the benefits, at least, of, of, of holding it virtual is that we're able to now get even more parents involved, um, like you said. And if you, if you have child care issues, well, you can watch it at your leisure when your kids go to sleep. Um, so, you know, it, let's, let's kind of talk a bit about the number of programs and tracks that there are, um, the, the, the schedule that's now up on, on copa.org. Um, and, you know, what, what some of the programs are that are going to be beneficial uh, to parents, you know? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Well, we have, first of all, um, a two-day, you know, kind of skills training ahead of um, the main conference. And that uh, Advocacy 101, I think, for, for parents is probably the best one to go to. Um, and it really gets, you know, kind of walks you through, again, that, that IEP process and um, you know, the law and, ha- and what to do at each step and, and really some some techniques and um, practices that will help, you know, folks be successful, hopefully, in negotiating during the IEP process. Um, and so that's the first one. And then from there, uh, starting on Thursday, March 4th, we have uh, every day, uh, thir- Thursday through Sunday, from um, 12 to about 6, I believe, we have different uh, events, either networking events. Uh, we have the um, opening keynote session this year with Corey Hamilton Biagas is our general session speaker. Um, and we have uh, invited Dr. Cardona from, uh, who hails from Connecticut, as you do, um, to also come uh, speak to us. And, and he's interested in doing that. Should oh, he formally great. be, yeah, should he formally be a appointed by that time, which we hope. Um, 
And so, uh, you know, Corey really focuses on uh, issues of equity and really trying to look at some of those both big picture issues that that you know we we need to pay attention to around uh, for equity uh, in terms of you know how students have or do they have uh, equal access to a quality education and you know that could that could mean anything from you know access to uh, gifted and talented sessions you know uh, courses or back to the simplest of being able to remain in school all day if they happen to have some challenging behaviors. So she's going to really dive down into that issue. Um, and then on Saturday, uh, we have three different breakout sessions. Each one is has six choices. Um, and as I said, you can choose to go to one session live um, each of those three times, um, but then the other sessions will be um, recorded. So, and the topics range from, you know, working, if you happen to have a child who's in foster care, for example, um, who is your child, or you're, I know you and your wife are doing a session, Salandi, um, on behavioral issues. Is that correct this year? That's correct, yeah. Yeah, so tell me the name of that session again. Sure, we're gonna be, uh, my wife, uh, Dr. Salandi Forte, who's a board certified behavior analyst, we're gonna be presenting on um, advocating for children with behavioral challenges, ensuring an appropriate IEP, FBA, and, and BIP. So that's one of, the, one of the programs, yeah. Yeah, and we appreciate that. And I think that's, you know, that's one of the other hallmarks of, of COPA. As I said, it's a peer-to-peer -peer network. So we have other folks who have, who work, you know, and, and either do this work or support their own children um, or a combination thereof. A lot of our, you know, over 80% uh, of our members are also family members. So right. it's, it's really a knowledgeable, skilled and, and committed group. Um, some of the other topics are things like uh, COVID-19 and compensatory education or, you um, Gosh, I'm drawing a blank now, but you name, you name it, uh, transition issues, um, assessment, how to know, you know, how to get uh, a independent education evaluation for your child. Um, you know, one of the how to understand like, assessments. Well, one of the things that I like, uh, Denise, about the, the wealth and scope of, of information that's presented is you could really be at any level of understanding um, as either a parent, advocate, or attorney, you know, all experience levels are welcome. You know, if, if this is your first conference, you know, you don't need to have background as a parent in order to kind of just jump right in. You know, um, some of the conferences in the past will go through, you know, you know, simple things like understanding an assessment understanding what the bell curve means and, you know, psychometric conversion tables and where your <laughs> child may fall into um, with their standard assessment scores and how to understand them versus, well, you know, now we, we disagree with the results of this assessment and how do we go about securing an independent one at public school district expense? Um, right. Uh, down to, you know, you know, litigation strategies, if you're in, if you're in a due process hearing. So it, it really just runs the whole course as far as 
um, the level of offerings that 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 cope that the COPA conference has. Yes, I mean, as you said, I mean, and you know, sometimes in this area of law, some parents do end up representing themselves pro se, or you know, not 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 hiring an advocate or an attorney. And so, as you say, they're welcome to go to any of the sessions. And the range of, of topics um, for, for any parent um, or for those who, who are interested in uh, representing themselves or for attorneys who practice in this uh, field or as special education advocates, um, you know, who practice in this field, things like uh, succeeding in a manifestation determination review, um, right, right. How, to, how to support a student uh, LGBTQ student um, to exhaust or not to exhaust under the IDEA. Um, I mean, as I said, uh, and a lot of uh, Corona topics, um, how to revise an IEP, how, you know, during the Corona time period, um, the importance of data and assessments. Um, and as I said earlier, uh, session on comp ed. So, um, it's hard to list them all, but, but there's a wealth of information, but you can go to, to copa.org, as Jeff said, and, and look at the um, 2021 conference and then um, click on the schedule and you, you can see uh, all the details there. Right, great, great. So um, what, what's the mission, what's the agenda, if you will, for, for this year, for the 2020 year for COPA? Yeah. Well, you know, again, I think we're still, there's several different things that we're working on actively, uh, all to promote equity and to protect rights. And one of them is certainly to get more resources to the districts um, and to fully fund the IDEA uh, through congressional action, um, but also uh, through some of the, you know, COVID relief packages um, that have come out. A lot of time, a lot or all of them have had funds for education, but that but they're not necessarily designated in any way for special education. So really pushing to make sure that the resources are there. Uh, we're pushing to have uh, social emotional learning, you know, more at the top, understanding that school climate uh, is critical, that it's it's, you know, We've got to redesign the school climate to be more uh, focused on the whole child, focus, as I said, on social emotional learning, and particularly as uh, both teachers and students either continue to be in the virtual learning mode because of COVID or have begun or are back in school, you know, what impact uh, have has that change in um, uh climate or, you know, learning circumstance had on, on the child. And, you know, for some, it may have been a traumatic time period. For others, they may have thrived well, but in any case, uh, being able to get, again, the resources that people need, increase the number of um, therapists and support people, behavior folks, um, you know, in there to really make sure that uh, everybody has the support that they need to be successful is, is another big area of concern for us. Um, do you think we are? Go ahead. Do you think that um, now that we have a new 
administration um, uh, uh, in DC that were that that COPA's efforts are going to be uh, uh, you know faster moving than they than they were under the prior administration, or how do you see that? Yes, I mean I think I'm. We certainly are hopeful um, that we have now, especially someone in the executive branch who shares our uh, goals and uh, has immense experience both as a teacher as well as an administrator and, and really working with the community, um, listening. Uh, I think he, you know, at least that's what we've heard from our colleagues in Connecticut, such as um, SEEK, the organization that you're, I know you're on the board of and that does great work at the state level in Connecticut. Um, and so, yes, we are encouraged by that. We are encouraged by having some of our champions, such as Patty Murray in the Senate, who is now going to be chairing the Senate um, Health Education Labor Committee. Um, so, yeah, we, we hope that we're going to be able to to move forward and, um, but also to stem some of the, the backward, you know, movement that had been happening um, or in the executive branch, for example, there just was nothing happening <laughs> because, because the previous um, administration was so focused on um, dismantling basically public school. So, Hopefully that rejuvenation of, of, of support for and the need to infuse funding um, into schools so that they can really support students the way they should be, it becomes um, much more of the focus and priority. Right, right. Now, you know, one question that, that, that I wanted to ask you is, you know, is, is, is now the time to be revisiting um, you know, an IDEA revision, or what are you hearing on that? No, um, we and our colleagues uh, do not believe now is the time to do that. Right. Um, we still think, in fact, I mean, the IDEA, one of the things, the common term is, should we reauthorize the IDEA? And, and the fact is the IDEA is permanently authorized, so we don't need to ever, if we don't want, you know, if, if folks don't feel that need, uh, reauthorize. Um, it is sometimes amended, and it has not been amended since 2004. But at this point, you know, our folk, we know when the IDEA is implemented as it's intended, and the both the procedural and the substantive areas of the IDEA are put into place for students. So in other words, they actually get referred to, to special education and, and are found eligible um, and then and that the results of those evaluations are used to develop their IEPs and the team agrees and they get a good placement and good services. All the things that the IDEA has envisioned that it really changes lives and it makes a difference for students. And so our energies need to be on implementing and enforcing um, the law and uh, meeting each student where they're at, especially during this time of COVID. Yeah. We've seen an, you know, a wild range of, of things that are happening or not happening for students. And so we really need to get back to a place where, you know, again, everyone's getting what they need um, and focus on that. Um, 
Right. Yeah. Totally. Totally agreed. So, so for, for the parents that um, are thinking that you know with a new administration we should we should be looking at updating or changing the law, it's really more about enforcing what we have right now and getting additional funding for it more than anything. Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now, what what have you been seeing? You know, because you really kind of can can look on a national level as to how states are rolling out remote and distance learning and supporting distance learning based IEPs. You know, some states are calling them interim IEPs. Um, Mm -hmm. What what are you seeing? Are there any trends that you're seeing as far as uh, distance learning programming across various states? Well, one of the trends we saw right from the get-go was a, a, a misunderstanding about whether or not something like COVID affects the IEDEA and the rights, you know, or the IEP process. And the, the basic fact is it does not. Um, there is nothing in the IDEA that says schools don't have to follow the IDEA or the steps of it. So for example, each year, uh, um, each student is to have a, an IEP where they look at how much progress has that student made? Have they, um, you know, do they need new goals? What do they need another assessment to figure out uh, why they may not be making progress, progress, et cetera. And from that, then um, the team, the IEP team for that student makes a placement determination uh, you know, and and then the, that student is placed and the program is implemented and then revised if it's needed. We heard, we have heard and continue to hear that some districts, you know, have made unilateral decisions about where students, you know, what kind of learning they may have, such as in North Carolina, they had made the determination that all students with disabilities would go back to school five days a week while everyone else remained virtual. Well, that's not following the the law, basically. Um, They really need to do an individualized look. Um, And then, you know, we've heard all across the range, there are districts that uh, are back. Some of them have been back the entire school year in person, uh, allowing for uh, students to opt out of coming in person and do it virtually if they, if they parents choose to do that. we, there are other districts that uh, have uh, started off doing hybrid where they might go for Monday, Wednesday, you know, they split a class in two and they go Monday, Wednesday, and then the other kid, the other half of the class goes Tuesday, Thursday, and they rotate Fridays. Um, there are other districts that, like in Maryland, they are completely still completely virtual. Um, so it's, it's really, really different everywhere. And we have also... Because of that, we've heard all kinds of stories of both success and nightmare uh, for students and families. Um, Some have had the unintended benefit um, or un, you know, people didn't realize would become a benefit. Um, So, you know, such as a student who started off school two grades behind in reading but because they split the class into two, you know, the hybrid model and two groups of nine, 
they that student got intense services while they were in in school with just a very small class of nine students and they have now progressed and are on grade level in reading um so we you know we've, we've heard stories like that and then we've heard other stories where the student hasn't gone to school and and hasn't accessed reading uh, has a one-on-one -on -one usually or has speech therapy and refuses to even look at the computer um, you know, and other, other families who've had to take their child to the emergency room because of their behaviors and they aren't getting any kind of support from the school. So, I, you know, I wish there were, it, it's kind of mind boggling in some ways because it is so, it so widely variant from state to state that you, that you just have to ask, you know, if some for example, if some states can be back to school and providing in-person supports, and they and that doesn't always mean in the school. There are some states that are sending, um, for example, uh, uh, instructional support staff to homes or meeting in another location to provide the services. They're they're you know able to provide OTPT, and then other states that haven't provided it at all. You, you really have to wonder why. Right, right. And, you know, even, even on the state level, um, you know, you mentioned, you mentioned SEEK of Connecticut where that I'm a, uh, a member of here in, in, in my nutmeg state. And uh, even on the state level, it, it really is varying by district yeah. where some districts are all remote, other districts are all in person, some have a two-day in-person cohort, um, and it really is dependent on on your zip code and the funding, right? Um, right. So it, it's really it's really running the gamut all across the the country right now. Um, but you know, you yes. brought up a really good point earlier in in the show, and that is uh, one of Copa's missions is to really. Uh, you know, provide information to parents as well as to school districts about the social and emotional component of when kids are getting back into school. You know, we don't know what these kids have gone through at their home. Um, and in some cases, it could be very traumatic. And it could be where they've had a, a significant loss of learning. And yes. so we need to be raising that awareness uh, because if they're not academic ready, it's not going to work when we get, when we actually get back to some level of normalcy. Right. And there is no, you know, there's no magic wand and there's no way to know in total whether there's been loss of learning or not, but it is uh, the responsibility of the school teams um, to determine that and that and to to take into consideration any kind of data that families have and we have been encouraging families to keep data to to take you know short videos on your phone have information you know that you can share with the schools one of the positive sides that we've seen and again not everywhere but in in many places is that that the barriers of communication between um, families and teachers in, in a lot of cases have come down 
significantly so that they are able to speak, uh, you know, um, frequently and they are able to share information and, and learn more about, you know, what the student's doing. I mean, I, I've heard so many that have said, I didn't know, you know, that he could he or she could do that, um, or they could do that. And, uh, you know, and that's from the teacher and from the parents. So I think they've had a, a opportunity to learn and understand more about each other and to, to work together the way, again, the way the law always intended, but uh, for the student. And when, even when we're talking learning loss, that's become quite the buzzword these days. And um, they, you know, you got to look at it uh, student by student, because as I said, some students have actually excelled given the circumstances. Some students have excelled online because they don't have to deal with all of the emotions and peer pressure and things that go on in, in school. Um, so every child is different, um, but one of, one of the things that we do, we've also been really working on is making sure that if families choose to keep their, their child home, that they continue to get the services and support they're entitled to under the IDEA and that the student is still entitled to the same levels of FAPE, um, that they, it's not the same as homebound or, you know, um, if you choose to withdraw your child from special education for whatever reason. It's, you know, if, if, if the school's telling families that they need to say, no, I'm not withdrawing my child from special education, you know, I'm for his safety or for whatever reason, uh, opting for uh, at-home instruction. And I'm still entitled to everything that, that I, I was, I and my child were entitled to uh, are entitled to under the IDEA. Right, right, right. Yeah, I know that um, here, here in Connecticut, uh, you know, we, we've had some moderate success with uh, what we're kind of referring to as a notice of partial unilateral placement. <laughs> where right. where, where uh, if a district is unable, um, you know, to meet all of the needs of a remote learner. Um, and some of these aren't even re really litigious. It's just, you know, there are certain related services that cannot be delivered in the school building right now because of COVID. And the parents in the district come to some form of an agreement, informal or formal or otherwise, whereby a certain funding can go towards providing the student with a certain level of related services, either in a community setting or in the home that's funded by the district, but may be implemented by a private provider. Um, right. You know, um, and parents might not necessarily know that they can ask for that, right? Right. Yeah, no, that's a good point. And that's happening in a lot of places. Yeah. Yeah. And they, they, they do have the money to do that because they've received a lot of money from the federal government through the COVID um, uh, relief packages. So, you know, they can, they have pots of money they can allocate for these kinds of things. And that's, I think, also important for families to know. Right. Right. You know, you know, the other thing too is, uh, you know, parent training is, is a related service 
under the mm -hmm. IDEA. And for folks, for parents that are listening, you may even want to ask your local school district if they could fund your membership and or attendance to the COPA conference this year, because it's so cost effective and it's remote, uh, they may very well provide the funding uh, for, for that as well. Absolutely, thank you for for uh, saying that, Jeff, because I think a, a lot, I know a lot of our attendees have done just that, where they write it into the IEP um, because they want to learn more about their rights. And a lot of times, uh, families and advocates or attorneys bring information to the school teams that they didn't even know they could do. So um, it, it can be a very valuable experience for the whole team. Right. Well, Denise, thank you really for, for taking the time to be on uh, the podcast. I really think it's a great service for the parents that listen to this show to know about COPA. Um, they should know about COPA, but if they don't, that you can really join right now on a very uh, limited budget. Um, you're welcome to come. Uh, we're gonna be having the conference um, in early March. Uh, let me get the dates here again. March, March 3rd through the 7th, is that right? Yes. Mm -hmm. March 3rd through the 7th. And listen, if you can't afford it, there are, uh, there are financial um, discounts um, and, and financial resources at COPA's, um, uh, on COPA's website that you can apply for, for financial aid, but also try to get your district to fund it and, and join us, join us for this conference. Uh, it's probably one of the best ones that you can attend all year. And because of, Co because of COVID, it's remote right now. So you can really watch it at your leisure. Right. So, right. Absolutely. And if, if for some reason you can't do it this year, we're hoping to be in Boston in 2022. So oh. we're going to be up in the Northeast okay. uh, in, in early March. So, uh, you know, we'll hope we'll see you. We'll hope we see everyone both years, but uh, just keep that in mind. Right, right. Well, Denise, thank you again for, for being on the show. Copa.org, folks, you have to go. You have to sign up. Sign up for their newsletters join a committee, get involved. Um, it's really gonna make a difference in your child's uh, education and programming and for your knowledge and, and for your peace of mind as well, just to be part of the COPA community. It's really second to none for, for parents. Uh, so well, thank you again thank for being on the show. And thank you everyone uh, for listening. Stay tuned for another episode of Let's Talk Sped Love. <laughs>